Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews. We did it, we did it together, and uh, it's just so exciting for me to just be a part of this with them, with all the 11 other players. It's truly an experience that I will cherish forever. Taking you beyond the ropes. Whatever you think is possible for you, or, or even what's not possible, you know, beyond your wildest dreams, go for it. You know, just go for it and think big and believe in yourself and don't let anyone tell you that you can't do anything. Unforgettable stories. He's hit some putts with it, so he gets his phone out and he just takes a picture of the grip and down the putter and doesn't say anything and he just pings it to Tiger. And of course, Tiger pinged him right back like, what in the hell are you doing with my putter? Do not touch that putter. <laughs> a bridge to the past. Years and years from now, Mr. Palmer, what do you want the legacy of Arnold Palmer to be? Well, uh, I suppose it's just that I have made a contribution to the game to help make it a little better. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. Good day, one and all. An absolute delight to have your company. I hope everyone out there is staying safe. I hope that you're staying on the positive side of the street with all of the news that we are getting nonstop that can impact so many. And I saw something on social media just the other day that said, reach out to people in your family, reach out to your friends, check in on them, especially people who might be prone to depression and otherwise these are particularly difficult times and that we need to make sure that we continue to connect with as many people as we possibly can. You know our philosophy with this show, The Fairways of Life, and that is we hope that we are a pleasant diversion from all of that, somewhere where we can share common passions. And what a show we have planned for you today. Gary Player, the World Golf Hall of Fame member. Now, you may have heard that he's in line to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Now, when you think about the weight of what this man accomplished in his career, 163 professional victories. Yes, you heard that number correctly. 24 of those victories came on the PGA Tour. That makes him 25th all-time on that list. He won 63 times in the Sunshine Tour. That makes him first all-time on that list. He won 19 times in the PGA Tour champions. He won nine major championships. That ties him with Ben Hogan, the Masters, in 1961, in 1974, in 1978. The U.S. Open in 1965. The Open Championship in 1959, in 1968, and 1974. The PGA Championship in 1962 and in 1972. He also won nine major championships on the PGA Tour Champions Tour. There is no other human being alive on this earth that accomplished the same. Those wins were three senior PGAs, one senior players, three senior British, and two senior U.S. Opens. He is one of only five men to have won the professional career Grand Slam, joining the likes of Hogan, Sarazen, Nicholas, and Tiger Woods. He was a three-time international team captain for the President's Cup in 2003, 2005, and 2007. Among the endless accolades and awards he has earned, 
He was a PGA Tours money winner in 1961. He won the Bob Jones Award in 1966. He was named the South African Sportsman of the Century in 2000. He received the Payne Stewart Award in 2006. He won the 2012 PGA Tour Lifetime Achievement Award. And he is, of course, as mentioned, an inaugural member of the World Golf Hall of Fame. His record in majors, which I want to talk to him about tonight, I've got a, a fun exercise uh, lined up here uh, in just a moment. It's unbelievable. In 150 events, he has 70 top 25s. Listen to this performance. 44 top 10s, 23 top 5s, three-thirds, six runner-ups in those nine victories. Are you kidding me? 30% of all the majors he played in, he finished in the top 10. In reality, the number is even higher because he played in the... Did, until 2009, so it brings down the average. So I mentioned to you, we're waiting on the awarding of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He will receive that, presumably alongside of Annika Sornstan, who's also going to receive it as well. His charitable work is as legendary as what he accomplished on the golf course. His work with golf course design stands and will stand along with his own record and the, and the, the reputation of his person as a long-term testament to his life's efforts. And as always, it is an absolute delight and an absolute honor to catch up with Gary Player. How are you, sir? Uh, thank you, Matt. That was very kind of you to mention all those things. And what is the conclusion it's a divine gift, and the word that comes to mind is gratitude. And let me say this, you know, all the awards I get have been due to my golfing prowess, but I think this medal of freedom from the President of America, the greatest country in the world that ever existed, is beyond everything. It's beyond the pale. It puts everything else in... in, in, in it's, it's really... It's so significant that it really is hard to imagine that a small young man from South Africa who was poor, struggled like a junkyard dog, wins this great award. And let me tell you, when I think of my career, I would really like, if it's possible, I don't think it will be, but I'd like to be known that I've done more for freedom and more for human rights than I did accomplish on a golf course. You must remember, Matt, I came from a country, South Africa, that had an apartheid system. And I didn't know, as a young man, what freedom was. We didn't know. And when you don't have freedom, that's when you really appreciate freedom. And this is what I continuously say to young people. Stay away from socialism, from Marxism. Get into being the free enterprise system. Stand up for your flag. Stand up for your God. You don't realize that soldiers, people, my brother went to war, Matt, at 17 years of age to fight with the Americans in the last world war. They all went to war to fight for freedom. It wasn't a gift. As so many young people think, oh, this is automatic. It's not. Millions of people died for freedom. And we must never, ever forget that. And if you ever want to see what socialism does, let me take you, because I've traveled more miles than any human being ever, let me take you to all these socialist countries. They finished. They got nothing. And here in America, there's such a sense of entitlement that actually upsets me. You're not entitled to anything in life. You've got to earn it. And it's the youth of a nation that are the trustees of posterity. 
It's the young people who've got to realize this, Matt, and they've got to continue along this vein. Well, thank goodness there's a voice in yours of significance and weight to carry such messages forth. Uh, by the way, Mr. Player, I, I do hear some voices and some sounds in the background. May I ask, where are you? Are you safe? How are you riding this out? I'm with my uh, daughter who lives in Philadelphia with her and her family. And at a time like this, it really is so nice to be with the grandchildren. And we have another grandson uh, who's come to join us. And these are all very tough times for everybody. But at least I'm living in a wonderful accommodation and have food. My thoughts go out to people across the world that don't have food and don't have electricity and don't have a television set and live in little houses, little boxes around the world. These are things that people don't realize what happens in the rest of the world. If you're born in this country, Matt, wake up every morning Kiss the ground and be very grateful. Don't ever take anything for granted. And if you ever think you've got a problem, just make a comparison to what's happening around the rest of the world and you'll really see you don't have a problem. Now, there are people that do have some serious problems, but generally speaking, people in America do not have problems compared to the rest of the world. Amen to that. You know, Mr. Player, we have had the pleasure, the honor of having you on the program many times over the course of many years. I, there is something that you and I have never done, and I thought it would be just brilliantly fun at this time for people to be able to live through the history of the following, if you're willing. I would like to go one at a time through your nine major championships on the Flat Belly Tour and get your comments about each one and any stories that you want to relay. Are you up for that? I'm up for it, yeah. Let's do it. Okay, so we open up with... A 23-year-old from South Africa that had a scratch and claw his way out of South Africa to find himself and to find his game on a global basis. And in 1959, you qualified, which is an interesting story in and of itself, that the fact that players used to have to do that, folks. You qualified to play the Open at Muirfield. What were your thoughts about that week? Well, first of all, a lot of young players don't realize today that we qualified for the Open Championship. Arnold and Jack were US Open and, uh, and Masters champion respectively, and I was Open champion. We still had to qualify for the British Open. <laughs> so people have always had to qualify. I arrived there, I've got no money to speak about, and my wife is there with my firstborn baby daughter, and I couldn't fly back to South Africa because I didn't have the money to be there with my baby. And I went up to Muirfield and I walked in the club and the secretary said, what do you want here? I mean, that, you know, they are as exclusive as Augusta is. And I said, well, I've come here to practice. He said, you're not practicing here, my boy. So I thought very quickly. I said, sir, I'm very poor. My wife has just arrived with a baby, and I've come here to practice, and I'm going to win the Open. He says, not only are you not going to practice here, but you're an arrogant young son of a gun, only with much harsher words. Anyway, I befriended him. And uh, he turned out to be a great friend, and I went on to win the Open to be the youngest man to ever win the British Open at that stage. And I'm proud to say I did it a score with all that inferior equipment, balls, clubs, spike marks on the green, no beautiful machines to rake bunkers, etc., etc., no prize money. And my score was only four shots worse than Phil Mickelson, and he played in perfect weather, and I played in wind and rain, 
and still was only four shots worse. So that was a very significant start for me in my life. That was one leg in the Grand Slam. Yeah, indeed. And again, only 23 years old. After that victory, did it change your impression of yourself in any way or did it validate what you already knew? I was always very confident because I struggled as a young man. I suffered as a young man. And the greatest gift I've ever had bestowed upon me is having to struggle and have adversity as a young man with my mother dead and my brother fighting with the Americans at war when he was 17 and my father working in a gold mine, which I told you, 8,000 feet underground and my daughter at boarding school. And I came home from school to a dark house, cooked my own food, ironed my own clothes and lay in bed crying, wishing I was dead. That was a gift from God. This is Gary Player that we're talking to. Fascinating stuff. Now, can you also tell me the story? Was that if from from that 1959 Open win? Wasn't that the interaction that you had with the starter at St Andrews, if I remember correctly? Uh, <laughs> no, that was the year before, and I got on the first tee, and uh, he said, "Play away, Luddy." And the fairway, you know, as I told you, so wide that Ray Charles couldn't miss it. It's so wide. And I teed the ball up. I was nervous. And I hit the ball. was going out of bounds. And it hit the out-of-bounds stake and came back in the middle of the fairway. And as I was walking away, he said, come here a minute, laddie. What's your name? And I said, my name's Gary Player, sir. He says, where are you from? I said, I'm from South Africa. And he says, and what's your handicap? I said, no, I'm I'm a pro. He says, you're a pro. I said, yes. He says, you must be a hell of a chipper and putter because you certainly cannot hit the ball very well, lad. <laughs> <laughs> but now, there's a sequel to that. I win the yeah. Open four years later, and I come back to the club, and there he is. And he says, he hits his head, and he says, oh, my goodness, it's a mirage. It's a miracle. You won the <laughs> Open with that swing? I said, that's right, my man, and be careful. Don't ever criticize. And I bought him a little whiskey. We had a great chat. Oh, that's brilliant. All right, let's go forward to your second major championship at the age of 25 at the 1961 Masters. Your thoughts? Well, I arrived there, and people have always been very kind to me, but obviously Arnold Palmer was the great American hero, and nobody understood it and appreciated it more than I did, and it was one of the, the best friends I've ever had in golf, and I miss him very, very much indeed, and we traveled the world together. But anyway, I've got a four-shot lead over Arnold, and uh, I eventually go on to win the tournament. And what a thrill that was for me to win Augusta. And, you know, President Eisenhower being associated with the club who I admired tremendously, and uh, with Clifford Roberts and Bobby Jones, maybe, maybe the best player that ever lived when you think of the great golf swing he's got. There are a lot of young guys today that if they had his swing... They'd play a lot more consistently, and he played with junk, absolute with junk. And not, they, You know that when Bobby Jones played, they left the holes in the cup for four straight days on many occasions, never changed it, never raked the bunkers, never had rakes, etc. So the scores he did were quite remarkable. But now you must remember, I'm playing, with, I'm playing with the, against Palmer, and there's 20,000 people there, and there's only one person pulling for me. That's my wife and my dog, and that's understandable. <laughs> But anyway, I'd practiced. I'd gone through a whole training session. I did that a lot in my majors. I prepared very differently to other players. And I was ready to have people screaming and pulling for Arnold. 
and I prepared myself for it. I didn't let it affect me. I was focused, and I said, this is Mickey Mouse problems compared to what I had as a young man, and I got so focused and went on to win. Now, in order to go on to win, you had to get out of a pretty tough bunker on the final hole. Could you talk about what the final hole was for you and what happened? Well, 13, the par 5, I hit my drive in the trees in the right, and I had a perfect gap going up number 14. I could have knocked it up the fairway there, had a sandwich, the green, maybe even birdied the hole. But I couldn't get the people to move. Now, if Nicholas was there, he wouldn't have played until they moved. Anyway, I was a young guy, and I didn't want to cause any uh, upheaval, and I tried to chip it back on the fairway, and I chipped it into the creek and got a 7. So I get a seven there, and Arnold Palmer gets a six on the final hole. And I get up and down out of the bunker, and Arnold plays the shot incorrectly. He had a slightly buried lie, and he opened the face, and you've got to close the face for that shot. And he bladed it across the green and uh, went on to win. So that made me the first international player to win Augusta. All right, so we move forward to your third major championship it would happen the very next year the 1962 pga championship at aronamink it ended up being a one-stroke victory over bob goldby what do you remember of that event we playing the british open the open championship at troon at the back of the green there's an out of bounds right on the edge of the green and i needed a part to make the cut and i hit the most beautiful shot to their flag it was so straight i had to lean over sideways to see the flag I went straight at the flag and went one inch out of bounds. And I left there with my tail between my legs the next day and came straight to a Rodemankia in uh, Pennsylvania. And the members were so kind to me. Since then, they've made me an honorary member, and I visit there a lot. And I practiced, and the members were so kind to me. And I practiced and practiced, and can you believe, from missing the cut, I went on to win the PGA. Yeah, it is an interesting story because, folks, the – Open at Troon was the week before the PGA Championship. That happened five times throughout the course of, of history, and it's remarkable. Uh, that speaks to the, to the fitness of this man that he was able to go from one to the other and do it with victory. Now, the next event I want to talk to you about, your fourth major championship was the 1965 U.S. Open at Belle Reve Country Club. And it was remarkable for a number of different reasons, folks. First of all, this was the first U.S. Open that was contested over four days, right? They didn't have the double round because of the year before and, and what happened with Ken Venturi, et cetera. They decided enough is enough. This was the first U.S. Open that was broadcast in color on television and you, sir, Mr. Gary Player, from what I understand, you were using fiberglass shafts in, in your golf clubs. How did that come about? Well, that was a miracle. I mean, uh, to win that tournament with fiberglass shafts and a fiberglass center in the ball, I mean, I just putted like Houdini. I don't know if anybody's ever putted like that. I mean, there's no way you could win <laughs> on, a, on the longest golf course in history at that stage with fiberglass shafts. But what people don't realize, if you tied in the British Open in those days, you played 36 holes on the final day. And if you tied, you've had a 36-hole playoff. Now, people have no idea about that. And when you played the U.S. Open, if you tied, you played 36 holes the last day as well. And if you tied, you played 18 holes the next day. So certainly common sense prevailed, and they've now gone to a far better system. But I was sorry because the U.S. Open was the only major 
that continued to have an 18-hole playoff. And I've always thought that you had to do that because a major means so much in one's life. And with all the seconds I've had in majors, I know what it means if you'd gone on to win others. So I still believe there shouldn't be a sudden-death playoff in a major. But anyway, that's the rule, and we abide by it. Now, now I go when, on, and I'll yeah, win the US Open. Jack Nicklaus, who's the greatest gentleman I've ever played golf with, by the way, he said, come and practice with me. You want to win the Grand Slam? I want to win it. And he said, come. I said, no, Jack, I'm going to Greensboro. I need the money. He said, come with me. And I went with him reluctantly and practiced there the whole week and went on to win. Now, that's the kind of man, that's the kind of sport that Jack Nicklaus is. Oh, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But it also speaks to a couple of different things. One is the tenacity of your character, because now with that victory, Gary Player did win the career Grand Slam, joining at that time only Gene Sarazen and Ben Hogan, who did it as professionals. And he remains the only foreign player to have achieved the Grand Slam. But there is something I want to ask you about that doesn't get talked about often or often enough, at least. In 1965 at that U.S. Open, sir, did you give away your winner's check? I did, actually, Matt. And uh, the year before, I had a chance to win it at, uh, at Oakmont. And uh, Mr. Joe Dye, who was the secretary of the USGA at that time, who was a wonderful gentleman, by the way, I was a little disappointed that I didn't win. And I said, Mr. Dye, I'm going to win the Open. And when I do whatever the prize money is, I'm giving back to this great country, America, for junior golf and for cancer, which my mother died of. And the next year I win it. And, you know, it's hard to remember uh, a long time back exactly the years, et cetera, et cetera, though I do pretty well, I must say. But that enabled me to win the Grand Slam. And the way I prepared Matt, I never went out to dinner one night. I sat in the room. I did meditation. I sat in front of a mirror. I spoke to myself. I hit myself in the face time and time again. You will be patient. You will never give up. You will be generous. You'll be well-mannered, etc., etc. And I went down to the scoreboard every morning, and there were all the champions of the past name on the scoreboard. And I sat in a Tai Chi position for a long time, and I just saw my name on that scoreboard. Visualization, Gary Player, Gary Player, Gary Player. So the mind, Matt, we haven't scratched the surface. I get so tired of people talking, and everybody, all they talk about is how far people hit the ball. Length doesn't win golf tournaments. Putting wins golf tournaments. A, a one-inch putt is the same as a 350-yard drive. It's putting and the special mind. If you look at people like Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus, the reason that they play and win so many tournaments, they weren't the best strikers in history. Sam Snead, Ben Hogan, and a host of players hit the ball better than they did. But they win all these majors because they were so focused in their mind. And we haven't scratched the surface of the mind yet. And I don't know if there are people that really and truly know how to teach the mind. I think the only way you can really, in the best manner to understand the mind, is to suffer, to go through some pain. And a lot of adversity, because as I said, without being repetitive, adversity is the greatest gift one can have. Yeah, it's interesting because Ben Hogan said very similar comments to, about adversity and having a hard time. And I remember something you told me. You told me that over a three-foot putt in majors that you relive your sins. 
Do you still feel that way? <laughs> you certainly get thinking about a lot of things, I'll tell you that. And the hole gets the size of a Bayer aspirin, you know, when you've got a hole at it. But you can imagine, you talk about Ben Hogan, he wins nine majors, then he goes to war for five years, then he comes back and has an accident and has this terrible car accident. So basically for 30 years in his prime, he doesn't play in a major. And very similar to Sam Snead. What would have happened if they never had those wars? Who would have won the most major championships ever? Unfortunately, unfortunately, and I put great stress on that, ifs and ands don't mean anything. It's what's in this. You know, when people judge golfers, it always fascinates me. They never look at the record book and say, now let's put these players down on paper and see who's got the best record. They choose the man with the most charisma, the man who did this or the man who did that. They don't look at the record book. If you want to see who the best players are of all time, Put them down on paper. If you're going to talk about the world, then talk about the world, not just America as well. Right, because wins and losses speak for themselves. Now, right. let's talk about another victory that you had. This was your fifth major championship. And, folks, I know a lot of people are hearing this for the first time, and you're going, are you kidding me? I'm not. That it went from the Open at Carnoustie, and the very next week was the PGA Championship. This would be the last time that that kind of scheduling snafu took place. But nonetheless, it did in 1968. So you go to Carnoustie for your fifth major championship. Your thoughts on that week? Well, first of all, Carnoustie is probably as tough a golf course as there is in the world. And we, the last round, I'm playing with Jack Nicklaus. And there are five of us within one stroke. Jack Nicklaus, myself, Billy Casper, uh, Morris Brembridge and Bob Charles of New Zealand mm. and uh, at the 14th hole which is known as the spectacles I hit a drive and a three wood into the wind six inches from the hole Nicholas mm. birdied it but I went two shots ahead and I stayed two shots ahead and unlike Van der Velber who had a three shot lead with one hole to go and made the worst course management ever in the history of the game I hit off with a three iron I took a five iron for my second and a nine iron for my third. I said, I'm going to par this hole. If Nicholas eagles it to tie me, so be it. But the odds are in my favor. Van der Velva should have hit off with a six iron and a seven iron and a nine iron, and he would have won the open by maybe at least three shots or two shots. So course management is so important. And so that was a thrill to beat these guys playing head-to-head with them down the line. Oh, especially there. Okay, we go to your sixth major championship. We're now in 1972, the PGA Championship at Oakland Hills Country Club. And I remember the stories that you've told me in the past about this one, about, in particular, trouble at a tee shot at the 16th in the final day. What happened there? Uh, well, first of all, I had a two-shot lead with three holes, with four holes to go. And at 15, I put it in the bunker, and I knocked it out two foot from the hole, and I missed it. At 16, now I've got a one-shot lead, and there are about, I don't know, at least five of us within one shot of each other. I drive in the rough, and wouldn't you believe it, I walked across the fairway. You see, memory in golf is important. I walked back to the fairway to get a yardage, and I noticed my divot from a practice round. And it was the strangest-looking divot. I must have hit a piece of wood, and the divot did a squiggly uh, method. Uh, and I went back to my ball, and I said, I know I hit an 8-iron from there. 
the ground is a little wet, there's a slight drizzle, I've got to go over those willow trees, the flag is right next to the water, I'm going for it. The best means of defense is attack, and I hit this nine iron three foot from the hole. Can you imagine at that stage, I had to lie down on the ground in a push-up position to see where the flag was, and a lady left her seat stick under this willow tree, and I went, I went for it and knocked it three foot from the hole. Now, people can say that's luck, but luck is also the residue of design. When you spend your whole life practicing and beating balls, you know, you can do these things. And these pros, they do amazing things under pressure. It's not luck. Although luck does help. Absolutely brilliant. So you end up winning by two over Tommy Aaron and uh, Jim Jameson on that one. We go to your seventh major championship, Mr. Gary Player. And it was at the 1974 Masters. Now, in the prior decade, you finished in the top 10 nine times at 38 years old. Here you are absolutely in the prime of your career, but you didn't play the Masters in 1973 because of uh, surgery to your leg and an abdominal surgery, I guess it was. What happened then? Well, I had the surgery, and that was the first time I missed it. And as you know, I played in more tournaments, more Augustas, more Masters than anybody that ever lived. I played in, in 52. And, uh, you know, it was such a, a wonderful and a tournament for me, organized uh, so well. And now I'm playing, and we've got two holes to go, and Tom Weisskopf and Dave Stockton are right on my heels. And at the 71st hole... And I arrived there, by the way, and my caddy, an African-American gentleman, says to me, says, Gary, I need a roof on my house. I've got a lot of kids. I said, well, I'm going to win this week, and we're going to get you a roof, my buddy. And I stood on that 71st hole, and I took a 9-iron, and I hit it so pure, and I took the club, and I said, the caddy was standing there, and I threw it at his feet, and I said, Eddie, we're not going to need the putter here, my friend. And the ball finished six inches from the hole, and I went on to win by one shot. So that was a, a great thrill. My caddy was so excited that when I hold, when uh, when you know, whenever I hold a long putt or did some shot, he really enjoyed the enthusiasm with me. That's awesome. Now, where where there is celebration and victory, uh, Dave Stockton was recently telling me a story about. I guess a shot you was at thirteen, where you aimed at the bridge. Yes. <laughs> what did he tell you? <laughs> oh, he he was, you know, the way he tells the story is that you hit the shot and the shot hit the bridge. It's very different than when someone says, no, 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 that was intentionally what I was trying to do. <laughs> well, you know, if, when you're coming down the line, when I think of the tournaments I've lost in my life, you know, you win 165 tournaments, but you lose at least 60, you know, you come along and you're second or third and 60 of them at least. And you, you've got to go for it. You cannot defend. You've got to go for that flag. You've got to go for the win. Otherwise, you get, I tell you, you only usually win by one shot. So the mind, the putting, and how you focus, but that all comes from the mind. All right, so let's go to your eighth major championship we're now and it's the same year folks please note this 1974 think about the significance of this he's at the open at royal litham in saint anne's this was the first open where it was mandatory that players use what they called then the american ball that was the 1.68 size golf ball versus the 1.62 and to speak to how tough it was that week 
In the third round, Gary Player shoots a 75 after rounds of 69 and 68. Shoots a 75 in the third round and leads by three, even after that 75, and the only man at that point who was one under par. Uh, it only got better from there, I should, I should tell you, as he went on to victory. What are your memories of that open? Uh, the wind was blowing so, so hard there. Uh, even the birds were walking. I mean, it was just... I mean, honestly, you had to experience how hard the wind was blowing there. When the wind blows at Lytham, to keep the, hit the green is quite an achievement. And I played so well, and I putted so well. And uh, I mean, one of the greatest thrills I've ever had in my life at, at Lytham, winning there, because I had a six-shot lead, a six-shot lead with two holes to play. And I said to my caddy, the African-American gentleman, who, by the way, was the first uh, African-American were the first black caddy to ever caddy uh, in the British Open. And I, you know, he'd been caddying for me for a long, long time. His name was Rabbit. And I said, Rabbit, can we win from here? He said, man, Ray Charles can win from here, my little buddy, with a six-shot lead. And uh, went on, and I hit my second shot against the wall at the clubhouse. And I played the shot left-handed uh, uh, next to the clubhouse with a putter onto the green and went on to win by a lot of strokes. So that was a very, very big thrill. Didn't didn't a man pop his head out a window when you were over there by the clubhouse? <laughs> Only can that can happen in England. The clubhouse, the secretary of the clubhouse, was right by the 18th green. And here I'm playing the shot, and he's got his head around the corner looking at me, and the members are having drinks above me and spilt a little bit of a drink on me. And I said, listen, guys, take it easy. You want me to put my waterproofs on? And, uh, but they kept quiet, and I went on to get the ball onto the green. And with that victory, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Gary Player became the first and is yet the only player to have won the Open in three different decades. All right, now let's go to your ninth major championship. And it's interesting that we finish here because in many ways, this one carries a glory that is very distinctive of its own. You're at 42 years old in 1978 at the Masters. And when you came into the final round on that final day, I'm curious what your mindset was in terms of the seven-shot deficit, and how much did you believe when you teed it up on that first tee on that morning that you could come back and win that Masters? Well, having played as a professional golfer for so long, and I won a lot of tournaments, six and seven behind. In fact, if I may digress for a minute, in 19, uh, 1978, I won Augusta, seven behind Tom Watson. The next week, I went to the Tournament of Champions in La Costa, California. I was seven behind Ballesteros and shot 65, or 64 and won there. And then I went down to Houston and I was six shots behind Andy Bean and won that, shot 64 there. And then I lost New Orleans by one stroke. So I was, you know, I'd won a lot of tournaments in my life, six and seven shots behind, because I know you put pressure on the leader, it's massive pressure. And I came back, my son Wayne, who was with me, said, Dad, you're playing so well. If you putt well tomorrow, you can shoot 65 and win. Well, I shot 64 with a bogey and came back in 30 and oh. won by one shot. You can imagine. And playing the 16th hole the last day, there were four of us, four of us tied 
So it went right down to the wire where I birdied 18 to win. And that back nine thirty that you shot, Mr. Player, didn't you tell me that you lipped out a couple of putts too? I did. I actually touched the hole three times, but as I said to you, Matt, I was so pleased that they didn't go in. Imagine shooting 27 at Augusta. You'd never be invited back. Oh, absolutely brilliant. So those were the nine major championships that has this man tied with Ben Hogan for the all-time major championship. Listen, distinctively, too, I should note here, as I, I did at the start of this interview, nine major championships on the PGA Tour Champions Level 2 puts him in a category that is singular. There is no one else in this earth that has accomplished the same on both sides, nine and nine on each of those two tours. Uh, and Mr. to win Player, that, sorry to Yeah, go ahead. To, you know, no, please, to win yeah. nine majors on the senior tour, the effort was not far off the regular tour because you've got to be 50 years of age to do it. And this is where, and I try to, my great dream is to get the young people of America to look after themselves and stay fit and stay healthy to be productive for this great country. And because America eats very poorly, they eat as poorly as probably any country in the world, and the obesity is quite substantial, and which is sad for me. So the fact remains that uh, now my mind is just—I've lost my mind a little bit there. We were talking about uh, the nine majors on the on the Champions mm -hmm. Tour, so Correct. I had to be extremely fit. And when I turned fifty, I was almost as fit as I was when I was 25, even today at 84. I still average 72, 73 when I play. Now, I have a few 77s occasionally, but I still beat my age by an average of 10, 12 shots a day and have beaten my age over 2,000 times in a row. Oh, so fitness, fitness, and this is what we've got to get through to people. To eat less, the secret to health is to eat a little and to exercise a lot. It's absolutely brilliant. Mr. Gary Player, I love talking to you. I love your recollections. I love your passion. You know that I love what you do to touch the lives of so many and the fact that you are so consistent with your message that can and will change lives. And those are messages of positivity that we need now more than any other. Thank and, you and Matt, for everything. I just would like to reemphasize uh, to get that honor, that medal of freedom. Charlie Sifford, when I came to America, wasn't allowed to play, the African-American. Wasn't allowed to play. And I went to bat for him. And I went to Cleveland and helped him. And when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, he asked me as a white South African to induct him in the Hall of Fame. What an honor. And the other oh, thing wow. is Lee Elder came down to South Africa. I went to my president and said, I want to put a spoke in the wheel of apartheid. And I want to bring Lee Elder down to South Africa, a black golfer. I thought he was going to say, get out of my office. He said, go ahead. And Lee Elder came down there, and we really started the, uh, the, uh, the abandon of apartheid. So to Charlie Sifford and Lee Elder. And Charlie Sifford was given the presidential medal, which he really and truly deserved because he struggled, struggled, struggled as a young man. So we've come a long way. And athletes can be such an influence in this great country and must continue to behave well and have respect and love in their hearts. Yeah, and long may it continue for you as well, Mr. Gary Player. I'd like to, to finish by asking you the exact same question 
that you heard as the show opens every day that I asked Arnold Palmer in the last long-form sit-down interview that he did. And it was this. Years and years from now, how do you hope that the game, the world, will remember Gary Player? Gary Player was known as a golfer and had one of the three best records in golf. But that was not what concerned him. What concerned him, and he wanted to be remembered, if you ever do get remembered for, is that he tried to do more for the human being and change the lives and valued freedom like very few people do. Mr. Player, I wish you health. Uh, be safe through all of this. Thank you once again for the time that you've spent with us and so much more. It's always a pleasure. Matt, you have, honestly, you have such a knowledge of the game, my friend. Very few people can match you. Thank you very much, and God bless America. That was unbe unbelievable. I don't even, I'm, I'm at a loss for words to describe how special that was, how cool that was. And, I mean, Dom didn't know uh, that I wanted to go through every one of his major championships. I was just going to wait till Mr. Player's on the phone because we didn't find out until late last night that he was going to be joining us today. And I was, I, at that time, I started, you know, rubbing one hand over the other and going, ooh, I want to go through every one of his majors. And for the sake of, of entertainment, uh, and for the sake of history, get his thoughts on each one and it was as pleasurable as I absolutely could hope that it would be. Please support our sponsors that make this possible through this time. As you guys know, we've made a commitment to continue doing this because we wanted to for us, because we wanted to for all of us. We wanted to just have some place that seemed, I don't know, normal, that seemed like it was an escape from everything else that is swirling around us. And so the people that help us do this, Ben Hogan Golf, it's BenHoganGolf.com. Log on there, look at the product. Think about the stuff that you need in your golf bag and how much pride you would have with the Ben Hogan name on it, especially after just listening to a guy that knew Ben Hogan as well. FrenchLick.com. That is the resort's website. And when you go on there, you're going to find multiple reasons, uh, as many as you search for, that make it the perfect place for you to go. Maybe for you and some friends to gamble and have some nice meals and play some golf, or maybe it's for you and your family the spas, they, you know, they got a bowling alley there. They've got a kid zone, all of it. It's for all these reasons, FrenchLick.com. TourEdge.com, there's a reason why the Exotics EXS220 is catching on. Uh, as you guys know, they have some big names in their staff, you know, the Scott McCarrens and Tom Lehman and all the rest. But they have so much use of their product by players who don't get paid to use them. The paid players aren't going to get paid to use something that doesn't work for them either. They don't have enough time to mess around with that. But when you factor in the people who aren't getting paid and still play the product, then you know if it's good enough for the best in the world, it's good enough for you as well. BridgestoneGolf.com has a new V-Fit because the golf ball is the one piece of equipment you're going to use on every shot, unless you swing and miss, I suppose. But you want to make sure that you have the perfect golf ball for you, and you can do that by getting V-Fit, and you can do it right through the BridgestoneGolf.com website. It's easy to do, and you're going to be working directly with another human being that's an expert in the same. And then finally, we want you to dream. Just dream. We're going to get on the other side of this. We're going to celebrate when we do. I can assure you and tell you that. I'm looking forward to spending time with all of you. But spend some time on Ireland.com. See why Ireland is a place of dreams and is a place that is so special. And it is the home to the best Lynx golf courses anywhere in the world, period. 
Ireland.com for that. Thank you so much for your company, and goodbye for now. Tour Edge continues their meteoric rise in 2020. Over 90 different tour pros have put Tour Edge into their bag, including staffers Scott McCarron, Tom Lehman, Tim Petrovic, and Duffy Waldorf. Tour Edge makes clubs for every player type, and they set themselves apart with their unprecedented 48-hour delivery on custom-fit orders and by offering a lifetime warranty and by building their clubs in the good old U.S. of A. Visit touredge.com to learn more about their new clubs for 2020. Tour Edge, pound for pound, nothing comes close. Come to where history meets luxury at the family-friendly French Lick Springs Hotel, where there is something for everyone, from kids' fest to shopping, bowling, golf, and other outdoor activities. Or at the West Baden Springs Hotel, you can wrap yourself in old-world elegance, visit our luxurious spa, indulge in an afternoon tea, a historic tour, and multiple sophisticated dining options. Then, finish your day with a cozy carriage ride before turning in for sweet dreams. Only this isn't a dream. Visit FrenchLick.com to plan your vacation today. It's no secret that FootJoy Flex has been one of the best-selling shoes in the game for the last few years. You can literally wear these things anywhere. Well, they now have a version that's completely redesigned and fully waterproof. It's called the Flex XP. You can wear these to and from work, hit a bucket of balls at the range, play 18 of them, wear them into the clubhouse, or out to dinner. Many have tried this type of versatile shoe in the past, but leave it to FootJoy to elevate the category. Now you can start flexing with the all-new Flex XP. Learn more about Flex XP at FootJoy. If you listen to the wind, you can hear it. That's Ireland calling you home. Home to the greatest links golf courses in the world, defined by soaring dunes, undulating fairways, venerable bunkers, and whimsical green complexes. From Royal Portrush in Northern Ireland, site to the 2019 Open Championship, to Ballyliffin, La Hinch, and Ballybunion, numbering among the Lynx golf masterpieces awaiting your golfing sojourn. Come home to Ireland and enjoy the most incredible golf experience of your life. Get started at Ireland.com. Boeing Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship-caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern Lower Peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boeing Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boeing Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to boinggolf.com and take in all the splendor that is a golf experience unlike any other. TheGolfTravelGroup.com is a luxury golf tour operator that specializes in custom travel itineraries to Scotland, Ireland, England, Wales, Iceland, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and more. Guaranteed advanced tee times, incredible accommodations, airport meet and greet services, private guided tours and private drivers, all in luxury vehicles, and they have a staff that's been doing it forever. TheGolfTravelGroup.com Take your game to the max this spring with the all-new Tour X golf shoe from FootJoy. Fully loaded inside and out, Tour X delivers max stability, max control, and max comfort. So you can launch it past your buddies. The Tour X wraps your foot in coziness with an ortho light impressions fit bed and a foam collar around the heel, ensuring max in-shoe comfort and support. Tour proven by players like Kevin Kister and Rafael Cabrera-Bello. Experience max performance for yourself with the all-new Tour X. Shop now at FootJoy.com. What's your bucket list destination? Where have you always wanted to go? What's the number one thing that holds people back from doing that? 
It's fear of logistics. I don't know where to stay. I don't know how to get tea times. I don't know where to go. I don't know who should take me there. Well, I'll tell you who knows the answer to all those questions. TheGolfTravelGroup.com. That's why the Fairways of Life show has aligned ourselves with these experts. And is there some place you want to go, like the Open or a President's Cup or a Ryder Cup? They can take care of that as well. What is your golf bucket list? Where do you want to go? Do it with TheGolfTravelGroup.com. BenHoganGolf.com is where you can go to see the beautiful product that's being produced right now, bearing the name of the legend. You know, when he founded the original company in 1953, Ben Hogan said he did it, quote, to design and manufacture the best golf clubs in the world, end quote, and that is exactly what their mantra is today, only it's going directly to you, not the retail stores, so they're saving that 40%, 50% retail markup. You can get the best, and you can get it directly from their master craftsmen. Log on to BenHoganGolf.com now. Nestled amongst the hills of the Hoosier National Forest resides a classic American destination, the French Lick Resort. Experience the ultimate in golf at the Pete Dye Course at French Lick, voted number one course in Indiana on Golf Week's Best You Can Play for 10 years in a row. The Donald Ross Course at French Lick has been named Indiana's number two course in Golf Week's Best You Can Play rankings every year since 2011. Come experience old world opulence amid modern comfort served with Midwestern charm. Visit FrenchLick.com. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the all-new Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try the new Tour B, the Tour Ball. Reinvented. It's time for you to discover Streamsong, a new kind of resort that takes the everyday ordinary to the absolutely extraordinary. Three internationally acclaimed link style courses by golf architecture's iconic foursome of Gil Hans, Tom Dope, Bill Core, and Ben Crenshaw that provide a golf experience distinguished as unlike any you've ever had before, with undulating fairways navigating through wild grasses and deep water ponds and lakes, towering sand dunes to find the unexpected experience of playing golf at Streamsong, the ultimate legendary golf destination set apart by the unexpected. Streamsongresort.com. <laughs> 